Hello and welcome to everyone joining us today for our Coronation Special podcast. For those who have managed to avoid hearing about it or have somehow missed the news, or in fact for those of you listening in what will be the future, <clears throat> we are sat at the precipice of British history, King Charles III's coronation, which, as a gentle reminder, is due to take place this Saturday, 6th of May 2023. For those listening who love the royals, you'll no doubt be delighted to join in with the regalia. And for those of you listening who are less inclined to share the joys or delights of the monarchy, hopefully you'll at least get to enjoy a bonus day off for the bank holiday. In true IDR style, we couldn't let such an event pass us by without adding our own royal twist. We therefore intend to debate whether the royal inheritance should pass automatically to the sovereign, or whether now is the time for that inheritance to pass in accordance with the terms of a will or the intestacy rules, as is the case with the rest of us, or indeed whether those assets should now belong to the people. I'm joined today by my colleagues Rebecca Everett and Paris Payne. Rebecca and Paris are two of the junior lawyers we have here within IDR Law, and they are with me today to revel in the fine glory of a debate. Welcome, Rebecca. Welcome, Paris. Are you ready to put your debating skills to the test and see whether you can persuade the listeners that your version should be accepted? Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Well, let's begin. As the listening jury, you will be charged with deciding public opinion on whether the law of sovereign inheritance fairly reflects the situation as it should be today. You will hear from those arguing on behalf of retaining the current position and from those who feel it is unfair and should be abolished. But ultimately, you decide. In true LinkedIn style, we will also add a poll to our post to allow you, the listeners, the opportunity to have your say in this all-important question. Today, Rebecca will be arguing in favour of retaining the position that the sovereign should take control of the royal inheritance, and Paris will be arguing against, hoping to persuade you, the listeners, that this practice should be abolished. So without further ado, please join me as we deep dive into the monarchy's inheritance rules and ask the all-important question, should the crown still take all the money or should it be shared between the royal family or even the people? Now, to begin, we must ask the question of what is actually on debate today. Well, it is said that the sovereign and the wider royal family receive income from three main sources, the crown estate, the Duchy of Lancaster and the Duchy of Cornwall. Together, it is understood that they amount to approximately £17 billion. According to The Guardian, it is estimated that the total value of properties owned by the Crown Estate is £15.6 billion, so this is clearly the biggest holding. The Crown Estate is said to be charged with generating profit for the Treasury for the benefit of the nation's finances. Again, according to The Guardian, the Crown Estate made a profit of almost £318 million in 2021. In true wills and probate style, the monarch's ownership of the land and property within the Crown Estate is said to date back to the Norman conquest of Britain in 1066, so not a recent development. However, since 1760, also not a recent development, the monarch has surrendered the net income received by the government. In return, the monarch receives a sovereign grant, which is used to cover travel, household and other expenses. In the financial year 2021 to 2022, the Royal Household's annual financial statement confirmed the grant amounted to £86.3 million. In return, though, it appeared the Crown Estate provided £231.7 million for the Treasury. As to the Duchy of Lancaster, this also passes with the Crown. 
The Duchy is reported to hold around £653 million worth of net assets as of March 2022. This provides an additional income stream to the monarch. While the title passes to the reigning monarch, neither the Crown Estate or the land and property within the Duchy of Lancaster are available for sale by the monarch. The Crown Estate is managed by an independent organisation, and so the monarch has no involvement in management decisions. As to the Duchy of Cornwall, this is held by the heir to the throne, and so this is now held by Prince William. According to The Guardian, the Duchy of Cornwall is said to hold assets worth more than £1 billion, generating an income for the holder of approximately £21 million, according to the Duchy's official accounts for the year ending March 2022. It is worth noting at this point that separate to the Crown Estate and the two Duchy holdings, the royal family is believed to have substantial personal wealth. Prior to her death, the Queen was estimated to be worth £370 million, according to the 2022 Sunday Times Rich List. The Queen was able to pass this as she wished in accordance with the terms of her will. However, we will never know who those intended beneficiaries were, as there is no requirement for the Sovereign's estate to obtain a grant of probate on her will. It is also unlikely that we will know the testamentary intentions of a number of senior royals, royals at least not for a further 90 years, as in the case of Prince, Willip, uh, Prince Philip's recent will. Now the scene has been set, I would like to invite Paris and Rebecca to begin the debate. Rebecca, given you are in favour of no change, perhaps you could start us off. Thank you very much for the introduction, Cara. Um, that's correct. So today I'm going to be um, discussing why I think uh, the royal inheritance should pass automatically to the sovereign. Uh, that is that there should be no change to the current position. The first issue I want to discuss is how this sits with the principle of testamentary freedom. So as you may be aware, when a person um, who is not a member of the royal family uh, writes a will, um, they have, in writing the will, they are subject to the principle of testamentary freedom, which essentially means that they can um, gift anything in their will uh, to anybody that they like. The issue with this principle when it is applied to the monarch is the fact that obviously the monarch isn't just a normal family, but they are a business um, with a substantial amount of assets, as, as we're all aware. So the reason why I bring up the principle of testamentary freedom is because I'm of the view that ultimately it conflicts with the idea of protection of the monarchy at large. It, um, it relies on the presumption, if you like, that the individual who is writing the will and therefore gifting any assets wants to protect the monarchy and the institution at large as it stands. This is not only a massive um, financial um, issue, but also it's a business um, and therefore these assets need to be protected need to be protected, um, which sort of justifies an exception to the normal rule of testamentary freedom. As I said, this completely relies on the fact that the monarch want, wants the institution to continue, and ultimately this is highly subjective. Okay, so moving on to my second point today. So I'd like to put forward that it's not necessarily um, as clear cut as we would like it to be when considering if uh, the royals or the monarch um, could gift their assets in any way that they that they like. Obviously, there is the sort of monarch's personal assets, um, like you or I might have, but then there are other estate assets which aren't technically the monarch's to give away. 
So obviously, if they're not the monarchs to give away, it begs the question of how these could be gifted in a will um, when, for example, assets that are held by the Duchy of Cornwall and under the Duchy of Lancaster aren't actually the monarchs. So moving on to um, my point number three today. So as we're all aware in the team and their writing will isn't as clear cut as you might think and often when it isn't clear cut this increases the chance of inheritance disputes so as I've just mentioned that the assets wouldn't necessarily be the monarchs to give away this could lead to a situation where for example an individual was gifting an asset in the will however ultimately the asset wasn't actually that individual individuals to gift we see this day today um for example in issues where for example an individual has given away a share in a, in a property um however due to, for example, co-ownership of that property and the principles of survivorship, it's it's not ultimately that person's to give away. Um, and this therefore creates issues where people end up instructing solicitors. So it's a pretty sort of significant issue when it comes to the monarch, given the amount of money uh, and the risk at, at stake. So I'd like to re-emphasize here, bringing back to my first point, is that really the protection of the monarchy as an institution and a business is key. So next, my next argument against um, the monarch being able to give away their assets, however, in which way they see fit, is that is partially based on the argument of a, um, a moral presumption that the relatives of the king or the queen should automatically or should inherit as a result of their the proximity and their relationship and their close family ties. The issue here is that there is a wider societal good in ensuring that the, the monarchy is protected as an institution. And I think the point that obviously the monarchs aren't necessarily financially in need only re-emphasizes that point. Um, you know, this is very different to a, a situation where we have a, an inheritance act claim and an individual is able to demonstrate financial need for whatever reason. Um, these are sort of working royals as well, or many of them are, um, and they, you know, they, they receive a wage anyway from a sovereign grant. So the last point that I'd like to discuss today uh, just links to the Sovereign Grants Act 2011. So this creates an, a, an exception really to the rule um, that the monarch isn't liable to pay income tax, inheritance tax or capital gains. Um, as we're aware, the, the enactments for um, these taxes don't apply in this situation. If, for example, there were to be a, um, a change which meant that the monarch was able to dispose of all of the sort of state assets in whatever way they see fit then it would therefore follow that there would need to be a change in the for example the inheritance tax legislation that would then need to be subject to that legislation um, and I'd like to point out really that the threshold here is only um, I say only but I'm speaking um, relative to the royal assets here is only sitting at 325,000 and anything above that is taxed um, at 40 percent so going back to protection of the monarchy and the institution, we're, we're really looking at um, severe financial implications for those for those assets. Um, so really we'd want to be protecting those and, and carving out a sort of special rule, if you like, as it currently stands, so that it, these assets aren't uh, taxed in the same way. 
those are my submissions for today on why I believe that we should retain the current position um, of the um, of the royal inheritance automatically passing to the sovereign sovereign. And I'd like to thank you for listening. Thank you, Rebecca, for those concise points raised. Uh, Paris, over to you for your response. Thanks, Tara. Um, and thanks, Rebecca. That is such an interesting argument that you put forward there. Um, I've got my work cut out for me. <laughs> In response, then, um, I would like to submit to the listeners the following points in rebuttal. So testamentary freedom is something that, as a nation, we are proud of. The ability to be able to choose who should inherit your estate is one which has been founded in law for a significant number of years. Accordingly, why should the royal family be any different? Although arguments have been put forward that the sovereign doesn't own the assets within the Crown estate, and of course the Duchy of Lancaster and Cornwall, that is only because they've agreed, for now, to hand them over to the government in return for the sovereign grant. So each time a new person takes over the role of king or queen, they have to sign to reaffirm that agreement. So while King Charles has done this, there's nothing to prevent Prince William on his ascension to the throne from changing his mind and deciding against it. I accept this may be unlikely, given the way the English legal system works in practice, and also due to the Sovereign Grant Act 2011, it was less than 300 years ago that the then King George III agreed to hand over the land. But what if the next king or queen decides not to? On the second point raised, being the likelihood of more disputes, I have to disagree. Despite there being no ability to choose who to leave their inheritance to, the tabloid press has still been filled in recent months with arguments over which royal family member will live where and how long King Charles will support his siblings and their respective families. If each person in the royal family shared the reported £650 million worth of wealth, regardless of any purported financial reliance or being a working royal, surely none of this would be a problem. As to the next point then raised by Rebecca, which I believe to have been the protection of the monarchy, is this really still relevant in today's world? According to some results from a public survey, it is accepted that 75% were in favour of the monarchy in July 2012, and this has decreased to 62% today. This evidences a shift in opinion on what the monarchy will look like in the future. With such a deep decline in 10 years, who's to say that the public opinion won't have changed to the extent that there's little to no support of the monarchy in the future? Further statistics also show that 39% of voters believe there'll still be a monarchy in Britain in 100 years' time. On these figures alone, it appears that the majority of the British public believe that the monarchy to be less relevant and less likely to survive for many more years. As to what I believe to have been um, your last point, Rebecca, on the final point of the tax position, I personally have no objection to the tax position changing to reflect the needs of society, particularly in um, today's climate. Um, with the Crown estate being valued at almost £16 billion, 
I suspect a significant amount of added wealth could be generated for the public through the provision of taxes, be it through the 40% inheritance tax on death or the likely substantial capital gains and income tax that each individual would be required to pay. Um, I also note that Cara raised earlier that the yearly income was over £300 million for the financial year 2021 to 2022. So clearly, ongoing tax on the crime estate assets will likely fill any gap left for many years to come. Um, yeah, so those are my thoughts on that. <laughs> Thank you, Paris. That was a really insightful discussion. Uh, Rebecca, did you have any points you wanted to come back on, particularly with regard to the relevance or otherwise of the monarchy? Or do you feel you sufficiently put forward your case with regard to retaining the current position? Um, yes, I, I do have one further sort of thought and comment on that. Um, I think although there might be sort of certain statistics um you know, going around. I think we need to bear in mind that perhaps that's potentially a decision um, that needs to be made more formally uh, before um, the sovereign's assets essentially start to, start to be dissipated. Um, ultimately, it can't really be done the other way around um, because once that once uh, the sovereign assets are um, are dissipated, then there's no going back from there. Um, so that's the only thought and comment I have um, with with respect to that. So thank you very much, Paris. That was really interesting. Thank you, Rebecca. And thank you both for that thrilling debate. Now, although the outcome of this debate will be decided by the public, I feel it's only fair that I wade in with my opinion, having listened to the arguments on both sides. I do, however, feel it's important to set out that my decision has not been swayed by any pre-existing attraction to the monarchy, although I appreciate my wearing a crown may say otherwise. I promise I'm only wearing this due to an appreciation of fine accessories, a love of prin uh, Disney princesses in my younger years, uh, because quite frankly, when else can I get away with wearing something quite so extravagant? As to the debate, excellent discussion points are raised by both of you on this topical issue. Personally, though, I do remain firmly on the side of the Crown estate passing to the reigning sovereign. There are substantial benefits to the nation in those assets being held by the monarch. If those assets were to pass down via a will over the years, as they do for the rest of the population, they would deplete between the family members, leaving a smaller sum available to the reigning monarch to run their household. This in turn could cause greater costs to be charged to the public in maintaining the royal family. This would result in potential increased taxes to cover those expenses, as was the case many years ago. Paris did, however, raise an interesting point as to whether the monarchy will still be both relevant and even in existence in 100 years' time. If that is the case, then clearly there's an argument that the distribution of the Crown estate and any other assets that they hold may not be so relevant, or their distribution be so detrimental to the nation. Conversely, though, there are substantial benefits that the nation receive from the Crown Estate remaining in existence. The Treasury receives substantial funds from the use and management of the Crown Estate that could otherwise be lost. Despite Paris's argument that substantial income could be raised for the Treasury via increased taxes, uh, and the fact that the monarchy may be less important in society in 100 years' time, for now at least it seems eminently sensible for the monarch to inherit the Crown Estate. Doing so protects properties such as Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle for future generations and allows for a substantial income to be provided to the nation as a direct result of the monarchy's existence. It appears, therefore, that subject, of course, to our public opinion of whole, 
the monarch will retain the right to automatically inherit the Crown Estate and the Duchy of Lancaster, and that the nation will benefit from those assets being held by the Crown as a result of the, the agreements in place that the income from those assets will pass to the Treasury, subject to the monarch receiving the sovereign grant. Now, while of course I look forward to seeing how the listeners vote, so please do take the time to choose, this does doubt bring our podcast today to a close. I would therefore like to take this opportunity to thank you all for listening and to let you all know about our upcoming webinars. The first is on 16th of May 2023 at 12 noon with my fellow partner Richard Thomas. Richard is continuing our sibling rivalry and settlement series with his upcoming webinar on how to prepare for its successful mediation. I will of course make sure further details and links are added to the comments section on LinkedIn. However, more details can be found within the IDRN section of our website at www.idrlaw.co.uk. As to future webinars, the next two have also been planned, the first of which we will be discussing financial abuse with Paul Smith, an elder financial abuse specialist, and the second being with my partner Eleanor Stenson on the 1975 Act claims and common pitfalls and benefits of those claims. Further details of those upcoming webinars, as well as a number of free resources, guides and commentaries can all be found within the IDRN. Uh, this is our free online referral and support space that has been created to provide you with all the information you need should a contentious case land on your desk. Thank you again to Rebecca and Paris who joined me today. And thank you again for listening. 